Today I want to speak about managing family finances and how we can honor God in this process. I'm addressing this to both singles and families. We will broadly divide our time into two main categories, as you can see in your handout. The first one will be relationship between God, man and money. And the second section will be biblical stewardship of money. So before we begin, let us pray. Lord, we ask that you open our minds and give us a better understanding of your instructions to us as we consider how to manage our finances in ways that will glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll begin the section A. The first section in the handout you can see talks about relationship between God, man, and money. And there are, there are three sub-points under this section. Now let us see what Scripture says to us about money. In Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, Jesus tells us a story of a rich man who gave his three servants different sums of money and went away on a journey. Upon his return, the master noticed that two of the servants worked very hard and doubled the money. But the third servant did nothing. He just kept the money as it was. And you can see in scripture, we see that this master rewarded the first two of the servants who worked hard and rebuked the third one and cast him out. This parable teaches us the following, among other things. Point number one, God is the owner of all the money in this world. He is the master like you see in the parable. In Job 41.11, God says, Everything under heaven belongs to me. So God owns everything that you possess. Your money, your business, your status, your spouse and even your children. God owns that. That's point one. Point two. God gives us custody of his money to us. Like the master... God entrusts us with his wealth. Firstly, we must guard it. Here I'm not referring to, to guarding means putting it in a safe deposit vault and forgetting about it. No, I'm talking about guarding means you guard the money by using it well, whatever you receive, and use it wisely. Sometimes you may, you may need counsel. And a good thing would be to involve a mature Christian in your financial decisions. It will help you identify blind spots. It also will help you to make choices that will honor God. Remember, Proverbs 11.14 says that in the counsel of many, there is wisdom. Secondly, we must guard ourselves against loving it. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Desiring to have money is not a sin. Putting money aside for the future is not a sin. Scripture comments it. But desiring to have money more than you need for the purpose of hoarding it, that is sinful. Such sinful desires indicate love for money that is far, <coughs> sorry, far more than the love for God and the treasures that He offers us in heaven. Uh, that is according to Matthew 6.21. So, in the light of these two points, how does that change the way you look at money? What makes money, how do we look at money now? So when we, make the, when we make money that we have ours, 
instead of gods, we carry a burden that we never needed to carry. The love of money enslaves us. It becomes an idol of our heart. Jesus demonstrated that to us in a parable of the rich man in Luke chapter 8, who would not give up his treasure to follow Jesus because he considered his wealth as his own for his own selfish needs. When we accept and believe that all the money in our possession belongs to God and it is given to us for a purpose that would bring him glory, we are set free from the love of money. It causes our hearts to be loving and kind and generous towards others. Giving money away in a God-glorifying manner no longer hurts. It becomes a joy. Point three. God calls us to account for the money He places in our custody. That is either reward or judgment as we see in the parable. Romans 14.12 says that each of us will give account of ourselves to God. Church, that includes also our money He places at our disposal. Remember the Garden of Eden and God said to Abraham in Genesis 1.28 to take charge of all His creation, subdue it and rule over it. That was, that was God giving Adam stewardship. It is the same with us, with our money. God has appointed each one of us to be stewards of the resources that he has put in our possession. And like the master in the parable, he will come one day to judge us and hold us accountable for our action. Scripture warns of this to us in Luke 12, 48. He says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Well, that concludes us, our uh, section A, which talks about relationship between God, man and money. Now we'll go to section B, where we'll be spending much of our time. Biblical stewardship of money. There are four points under this section. There are many sub-points. If you please follow up in this handbook, you will get to know the thread of that. So, good biblical stewardship is defined as a responsibility of Christians to use wisely the positions that God has given them for His purposes and glory. So we will discuss some major aspects of good biblical stewardship in the context of managing family finances. So let me give you the definition one more time. Good biblical stewardship is defined as the responsibility Christians have in wisely using the possessions that God has given them for His purposes and glory. So we're going to con uh, consider some aspects of good biblical stewardship. We'll start with budgeting. Budgeting is a process whereby you estimate your income and your expenses over a period of time. Biblical budgeting places priorities on the gospel. Biblical budgeting is something that you, you do it according to what God has commanded in scriptures. Budgeting would be unbiblical if the purpose of the budget is to hoard money and put it aside for yourself when you will never need it instead of giving it away for the gospel. Now there are times that our income may increase. So do we increase our spending budget according to our increase in income and have a better lifestyle? Certainly yes. But you have to do it in a God-honoring way. Now here are some points I will list out for you which will which will show you how budgeting can commend the gospel. Budgeting brings contentment to your heart. You know what you have 
and you know what you're going to spend on. You're not anxious and you're guarded against overspending. Second, budget guards you against sins such as envy and materialism. Next point, budget reminds us of the needs of others and helps us to be generous. Budget also fosters good family relationships. Everybody in the family takes part in preparing the budget and everybody works equally hard to make sure that they are working within the budget. So it, it, it uh, promotes good family relationships. Also, sharing budget discussions with your church, fellow church members also ensures that we watch over each other as covenanted uh, members of this church. So that's regarding budget. Point two is spending. A good biblical principle would be to spend according to a biblical budget. And we will now consider some aspects of spending. First, we are called to live a gospel lifestyle. Proverbs 30 verses 8 and 9 says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful. For lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. It is clear from this scripture verse that a response to a possession really matters a lot to God. We praise the Lord and seek to glorify Him when we are in plenty, when we have plenty. And we also do the same when we are in want. Point two. Time and money management. Spending time to make more money that you need is not a good use of your time. But spending money to make time for your family to attend a Bible study or disciple someone in the church commends the gospel and it's a good stewardship of both your time and your money. Point three. Review your spending list. Proverbs 21.5 says that the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. This is an instruction to us from Scripture to plan and budget. Because without planning and budgeting, there is a great danger that you'll always be in want. I urge you, church, to plan your spending and have a mature Christian review it and see if there are any excesses in it. Invite them in your life and ask to, to ask you the hard questions. That would be a wonderful picture of the gospel at work and also how we practice our church covenant. Point four, your spending target. Who is the beneficiary? Let us see what scripture says. Sorry. Yeah. In 1 Timothy 5.8, it says, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In this verse, Paul clearly instructs us to support our family members and our relatives. Another verse, second, sorry, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Another verse, 2 Thessalonians 3.6 says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you have received from us. And in verse 10 it says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, 
the one who is willing to work shall not eat. We are commanded in scriptures here to not be supportive of laziness or those who refuse to listen to good counsel. Paul teaches us not to support people who are capable of earning for themselves. If you are in doubt, speak to an elder and check with them and ask them and seek their advice. That would be the right approach. Okay, that's pending. Now we come to the next point that is tithing. Tithing is your worship of the one true God who gave you everything, including his own son, to redeem you so that you are free from eternal judgment and you are able to spend an eternity with him. This truth should fuel your worship of giving, through giving. And here are, here are some principles that you should consider while giving biblically. First, give joyfully. People often ask, how much should I give? Under the law of Moses, it was 10%. But now, we are under grace. Under grace that through Christ, and there is no minimum. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Point two, give sacrificially. We learn from scripture that God's people gave to the point of hurting. Paul gives us an example of this, of the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians 8, verse chapter 8, where he says that they gave to the work of the gospel out of the poverty. Similarly, Jesus gave an example of the poor widow in Luke 21 who gave out of her poverty. Giving sacrificially displays a trust in God who is faithful and able, and able to provide all of your needs. Third, give faithfully. One way of being faithful and honoring God in giving is setting aside for God the first fruits of your labor. Remember, God does not need your money. He needs your heart and is glorified when you make him first over everything that you possess. The next point is on giving wisely. Giving should be biblically based as scripture teaches. Paul instructs us in Galatians 6, 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So giving should go to your local church. In my conversations with some people, I've been asked questions about tithing, and I will give you some of the questions that I've been asked. Perhaps it is helpful for you. Question one. I'm a member of Covenant Hope Church, but I have a church at home where we continue to be members. Is it okay for me if I send my tithes there instead of giving to the Covenant Hope Church, the local church? Well, it is not okay, as per Galatians 6.6, 6, because it is Covenant Hope that teaches you, shepherds you, cares for you. There is no, and, 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 and by scripture, you're called to tithe to the local church. And Covenant Hope is your local church. There is no scripture-based obligation on you to tie the church that calls you to pay for membership or with who does not have any spiritual shepherding over you or where you are not able to sit under that teaching. Question 2. I am not a member of Covenant Hope Church, but I am only attending it. Should I tithe Covenant Hope Church? The answer is yes. 
According to Galatians 6, 6, Paul, note that Paul said, this is, you have to, the answer is yes, according to Galatians 6, 6. But please note that Paul has not said that only members should tithe to the local church. He has narrowed down that to one aspect. You should tithe the church that teaches you. If Covenant Hope is a local church that teaches you, then it is so. Question 3. Is it wrong to send money to other partner churches? No, it is not wrong to do that. You may do so out of your extra disposable income after you have faithfully given to your local church which you are physically attending. Question 4. Can I support ministries and missions instead of the local church? Um, no, it cannot be. Instead, giving to the, to the local church is instructed in scriptures. Giving towards ministries and missions comes after that and out of your extra disposable income. Question 5. Can I support a fellow brother or sister in church instead of giving to the local church? The answer is no again. Giving to a needy brother or sister is not considered as giving to the Lord. You may support a needy brother or sister with your extra disposable income, but under good guidance and counsel from the elders of the church. This counsel is mandatory not only to protect you, but also protect the needy brother from being lazy, making unwise choices, ungodly decisions, disregarding wise counsel, or perhaps even falling into sin. Question 6. Can I buy much needed equipment and supplies for the church instead of tithing? The answer is no again. Providing for the church is in kind is not considered as, as tithing or giving to the church. You must trust the elders how they use that money. For, for, for they will use it according to the priority set before them of the needs of the church. However, you are free to buy equipment if the church needs and if the Lord puts it in your heart, but only out of your disposable income. So that's about spending. Now, we'll come to the next point, debt. A debt could be a home loan, a study loan, a car loan, or a credit card loan. This is how today's economy functions, and we are all somehow part of this fabric. But debt, according to scripture, is not bad. Jesus encouraged debt, encouraged lending without interest in Luke 6.35. The Apostle Paul instructs in Romans 13.8 to pay all your debts. This presupposes that we can take a loan and we can also lend. But it's imperative to pay it back. So therefore, apply wisdom while considering debt. Talk to another mature member of the church before you take a debt and take it only if you need it and ensure that you have a clearly defined path of repaying that debt. Now there are some considerations when you consider debt. I'll give you four of them first. Often faithful church members struggle to tithe the church due to financial constraints. If that is you, discuss your situation with someone mature in the church. Seek counsel, but I say, do not, do not borrow money to tithe the church. Do not feel guilty if you are not able to pay or tithe the church. 
don't feel guilty if you feel that the tithe that you're giving to the church is far less than what your heart is telling you to do. The Lord knows your heart and He will receive whatever little you give Him and if you give it cheerfully and sacrificially. Second consideration. Banks out there are offering very, interest, very low interest rates nowadays. Brothers and sisters, flee from this temptation. Debt is not something that you can consider lightly. Seek counsel from fellow church members and ask them what you should do. We should never view debt as our savior, no matter how low the interest rates are. It will enslave you. Debt has not only hidden risk, it does also lead to evil. Next consideration. Examine your heart when you consider debt. Ask yourself three important questions. Why do I need it? Can I afford to pay it back? And did I seek counsel from my fellow Christians to ensure that the debt will glorify God? Next question. Next consideration. Do not presume upon God's mercy to provide. Many a times we are tempted to take a loan without planning and moving ahead and thinking when the time comes to pay back the loan, the Lord will provide. Well, that presumption is sinful. It means you are ignoring God's sovereignty in your life, taking things in your own hand to manage what you want to do and expecting God to follow suit according to your plans. That's sinful. So that concludes that. So we'll go to the next point, that is savings and investment. If we plan and save for the future, does it honor God? And does it mean that we, we lack faith that God will provide for our needs? This is a question that many Christians struggle with. And I will address this under three sub-points. First, there is prudence in planning. Proverbs 6, 6, 8 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. She prepares her bread in, bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So you see, Scripture commends saving for the future. Also in 2 Corinthians 12.14 and Proverbs 13.22, Scripture requires parents to save for their children. Joseph did that in the years of plenty to provide for Egypt during the years of famine that followed. The good side of it is that when you're able to save money, you can apply godly wisdom and help yourself and others who are in need. Second point under this, hazards of hoarding. Hoarding is selfishly accumulating wealth without consideration towards God. Hoarding is sin, as we see in Proverbs 11:26. Saving and investments need to be done with a purpose that glorifies God. A hoarder saves trusting in his wealth for his own selfish needs. Christians are called to save, trusting in God, and joyfully submitting to God, God's purpose for that saving. Third point under savings. Treasures in trusting. As Christians, we often struggle with the question, how much should I give before I start saving? Well, there is no formula to answer this question, and there is no scripture as well that defines that. Scripture only calls us 
to give cheerfully. This struggle in our mind and our heart is good as it teaches us to turn to God and rely on Him to help us with our finances. How much should I give? How much should I save? Differs from person to person. But the goal is always the same as Christians, that we trust God and glorify Him as we consider savings and investment. God becomes the focus of our worship and not our possession. Well, that concludes our discussion on managing family finances. This was a five classes session condensed into 30 minutes. So I'm sure that is why I made this handout, because to give you the points for, to think about. Please feel free to look at it now, and I'm happy to take questions, if any. Uh, Michael, can I take questions? Afterwards, okay. Yeah, all right. So I'm, I'm available if you have any questions, and I'm happy to answer them. Thank you.